Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Well, so much for the dog days of summer here. The New England Patriots have their quarterback as Cam Newton, the former NFL MVP, reaching an agreement on a one-year incentive-laden deal. I say their quarterback because you know what? He could still be the backup. Who knows? Stidham and Hoyer are in the mix, but there's no doubt the guy's a former MVP. And right away, Mike, you saw these collective sighs and guffaws. And we're going, oh, my God. Here go the Patriots again. You talk about a team-friendly deal. No risk and high reward. You get a highly motivated Cam Newton to prove everybody wrong and already Caesar Sportsbook believes the Patriots have improved from 25 to 1 to 20 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. They're from 10 to 1 to 9 to 1 to win the AFC. Before we dive into Cam, I want to touch on what you tweeted immediately after, which I retweeted is so much for that thought the Patriots are tanking, right? Yeah. I mean, how stupid was that? Somebody's getting paid millions of dollars to formulate this opinion. I mean, it's like, how can that, if you understand one fiber of Bill Belichick's body, you know, the winningest coach other than Don Shula in the history of the NFL, and he's going to tank? I mean, like, that's just insulting. Like, you think you were a one-man, first of all, let's just be real clear here. Last year's team was not driven by Tom. In fact, if you study the tape, Tom probably had one of his worst seasons last year for a myriad of reasons. The fact maybe he didn't want to be there. He knew he was leaving. He wasn't comfortable, didn't trust. We can go through the list, right? But I, I would say they were winning really in spite of him being the true Tom Brady that he's always been. And so for someone to say they're going to tank, like it makes because they lost Tom Brady. Did they watch any of the Patriots games last year? Like, like that's what kills me. Like he won 11 games with Matt Castle. You think he's going to not win games with whomever he plays at quarterback? Yeah, it's just an absurd theory. And now that's put to rest because clearly they're trying to win. They're trying to win right now. And I would think Cam has the inside track, but he's got to beat out Stidham and Hoyer. And those guys obviously have been leading on-field workouts this offseason. They're more familiar, I would assume, with the playbook. I don't know how much work Cam's going to get, get up to speed. But this is, as I said, Mike, off the top, low risk, high reward. You get a highly motivated player who recognizes that people think his best days are behind him. Everyone keeps saying a former MVP, but that was five long years ago. The Panthers only been in the playoffs once since then. That was a wild card loss to the Saints in 2017. And this comes to buying in. As you've talked about many times, because you were there, you've seen it, the Patriots way. If Cam buys in, head down, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever Belichick says, I'll do it. He, I think, I don't know about thriving, but he's going to do well, right? He's going to do well enough to at least get another contract. And if he's not with the Patriots, he'll go elsewhere. But if he's difficult, if he remains erratic, if he's problematic, then very quickly, he's going to seal his own fate. This is on him. Yeah. Well, and they've had a lot of conversations before the announcement of the deal, right? And so this was a two-way street. Cam needed to hear what the Patriots were selling. And the Patriots, frankly, needed to hear what Cam was talking about. And Cam, in his conversations with the Patriots, was very positive. He doesn't want anything. He doesn't want to be giving the starting job. He wants to earn it. He wants to prove to the people. He's got this giant chip on his shoulder, which the former general manager of the New York Giants used to say all the time, the best soldiers, the hungry soldier. Well, football players are like soldiers. They're best when they're hungry. And he's hungry. you know. And I get what Richard Sherman's saying. There's no excuse for 
Chase Daniels and some of these other guys making more than Cam. But Cam's going to get his payday next year. It's somewhere, whether it's in New England, whether it's somewhere else. Cam's going to be back because let's let's put things in real perspective. Cam, you talk about 15. Granted, that was the MVP season. But if you really study 18 and really examine those eight games in 2018, the last time he won was 11-4, 2018 against the Bucks. He was sensational. And here's what you're going to get with Sam. And this is – I love how Hubie Brown always does this in basketball. Here's what you're going to get with, with, with Cam Newton. You're, you're going to get a guaranteed 3,600 yards passing. You're going to get 600 yards minimum rushing. You're going to get over seven yards per pass attempt. And you're going to get a low percentage of interception. In 18, he threw 15 touchdown passes, four interceptions before the shoulder injury. He was averaging 7-2 per per attempt. He was electrified. He only was sacked 12 times in those eight games, which is really low for the Carolina Panthers with their offensive line. So book those numbers and then add in the Josh McDaniels factor. Add in the Patriots highlighting factor. And, you know, this is, you're probably looking at 4,200 yards passing. You're probably looking at 750 rushing. And you're going to look at around 7374 yards per attempt. And if he stays healthy, he's going to get comeback player of the year. So, like, this was a no brainer for the Patriots to do it. A season ago, we kept hearing, you know, I don't want to say Tom Brady apologists, but those who would look at the full picture and say, yeah, okay, fine. Tom isn't the same player he once was. He's not peak Brady, but look at the weapons around him. They have suffered. They're not nearly as strong in the receiving core as they've been in the past. How does that impact Cam? Is that less of an issue, Mike? Because Cam can do things with his legs. He can improvise more of the pocket. How do you think the Patriots supporting core affects Cam, whereas how it affected Brady a season ago? I think when you evaluate receiving cores in the NFL, you've got to really make the distinction who's open. And I think what we saw last year with Tom Brady, he really didn't trust anybody other than Julian Edelman. He was going to force the ball to Julian Edelman no matter what he did. So when you're watching the tape and you're saying, why doesn't he throw the ball to Keneal Harry? Why doesn't he throw the ball to Jacoby Myers? Why, why isn't he throwing the ball to, you know, the tight end? I mean, the, the, the guy's wide open. Why is he not throwing it there? Is it not his read? You know, and, and really it comes back to a lack of trust. I mean, when you watch Aaron Rodgers, this is Aaron, this is why Aaron Rodgers' yards per attempt is coming way down. He only trusts he only trusts Devontae Adams. He doesn't want to throw the ball into a tight window or not something clear to him. He'd rather hold it, run around, and then make a loose play. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think when you watch Patriot tape, there were times where guys were open. You could watch the, go put the Houston game on, watch the all twenty-two. Guys are wide open. And it's not the receiver. Tom just didn't trust anybody to throw the ball to him. It happens with older quarterbacks. It's part of the the process that happened. They they get into this real trust, and they don't want to turn the ball over. And I think with Cam now, all of a sudden, you'll see Keneal Harry having a having a much better season. I think you'll see other players. You know, Mohamed Sanu. You'll see other guys develop along those lines because I really believe that Cam will throw the ball. Look, Cam's best receiver was Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, he never – I mean, the year he went to the Super Bowl, Ted Ginn was his number one receiver. I mean, he's never had a supporting cast. And then, you know, his offensive line was – go back to that Super Bowl that they lost. I mean, they couldn't block Von Miller the whole time. And he's in a completely different environment, a completely different situation. And his talents, if he's healthy, which I think he is, it's going to rise. And he's in the right framework too, AD. I mean, he's in the right frame of mind to dominate. He wants to prove to all these people, how stupid are you? Ryan Pace, 
pay attention. You're a dumb fuck. You know, David Blaine Carwell, you're really a dumbass, you know, because if you don't sign me, you know, Anthony Lynn, Tom Telesco, you stay with Tyrod Taylor and you don't sign me? Huh. Seriously? I mean, it's it's really, it's comical. And as I wrote about in The Athletic, Bill Walsh said this, and he's completely right. The NFL gives you an opportunity to improve. You just must be willing to take advantage of it. To that point specific and Ryan Pace, I mean, the Bears right now, you think about it, you trade for Foles, who is going to push Trubisky fine. But as we've said before on the GM Shuffle and it bears reiterating, you know, Foles is a fairly passive guy. You know, he's not like a, a strong presence. You know, him and Trubisky probably get along fine. You know, the best man win fine. If Cam showed up, as you said before, he would like intimidate Mitch Trubisky. Like as soon as he looked over his shoulder, like, oh my God, Cam's here. Hey, I can't screw this up. This guy's here to take my job. Yeah. For the Bears not to sign Cam, the only way I look at it is they were trying to do Trubisky a favor and say, listen, we're going to get Foles here. He's a benign presence, right? He's a good player, but... He's not here to steal your job. It's still your job to lose. If you screw up, then yes, Foles will take over. But if Cam's there, it would have terrified Trubisky. So in fact, you miss out on signing Cam because you're still coddling Trubisky. I mean, Foles is such a nice kid. I mean, if, if, if you let him stay at your house, you'd never worry about him cleaning out your liquor cabinet, right? You know, he's just too nice of a kid. And so he comes in and he's going to play nice. He's never started 16 games either. No one ever analyzes Nick Foles. They just remember the Super Bowl run. But the guy's never started 16 games in his NFL career. He's never. So he's the perfect guy to bring in to, for MVP, Mitch. And it just goes back to the agenda. You know, that there is certainly an agenda that operates within the NFL. It's it, Fans don't see it. They don't understand it. You know, look, I, I think Drew Locke's a good player. But if I were John Elway... There's no way as as the price of Cam Newton was coming down. It's one thing to say, I don't want to sign Cam Newton for $10 million because I got Drew Locke. I get that. I don't want to sign Cam Newton for $7 million, paragraph five. I've got Drew Locke. I get that. But at some point, the price has to alter the decision. The price changes how you look at things. You know, I like this house in Ocean City. It's $8 million. I don't want to move and spend $8 million. I like my house. I don't want to move. But at some point, if that house becomes low enough, I'm going to move, right? It's the same thing you're going to do. You're looking at the house you live in, and, and you're, you see another house that's more expensive. You, you push it off, say, I don't really want it. But at some point, that home's going to come down to a price where you say, that's too good for me to pass up. I got to take that. That's the whole problem with the NFL. They stop looking. They figure they got their guy and the way they go. And it's last point here on this. I was ready not to proclaim the Patriots weakened, but certainly vulnerable and say, okay, the Bills, hey, all good things must come to an end. The Bills are now going to be division champions. You know, great defense, obviously make the trade for Diggs. It'll help Josh down. He matures as a better pastor. And now all of a sudden the Patriots get Cam and I go, eh, maybe it's a toss up again in the division. Maybe the Patriots are the favorite again. How do you handicap it right now, Mike, if you say who wins the AFC East, Bills or Pats? Oh, I'm going to go with the Pats because I don't trust Josh Allen. I mean, I got a, I got a tweet from some guy the other day. So I can't wait till Josh, Josh Allen makes you look like a moron. Good day. That's what he said to me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, but I mean, until Josh Allen proves he can prove his accuracy, I'm not going there. I like, and I like everything about Buffalo's team. I like everything about Buffalo's team, except I worry about their quarterback. Do I think Buffalo will beat New England this year? Yeah, I think they'll split. I think it'll be a really competitive. But Buffalo's schedule is much harder than it was last year. Much harder. 
And they're a better team, but it's still a much harder schedule. There's still a lot to prove out there. Buffalo, the other thing is Buffalo now becomes Virgil. They, they've made themselves Virgil Salazzo, even though Sean McDermott doesn't want to put the target on their back. He's still saying, oh, no, 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 no. New England's the best team, right? They've become Virgil Salazzo. They're the hunted one. They're going to go in there now. They got a little swagger to them. So the level of play against them is going to be much different. No doubt about it. All right, when we come back, that's the story with Cam Newton and the Patriots. Could Antonio Brown join Tom Brady in Tampa? Plus, Mike Pays tribute to legendary NFL coach Joe Bugle. Don't go anywhere. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, as we continue, the Patriots obviously signed Cam Newton. How about Antonio Brown, who did not work out in New England, but Tom Brady's a fan of his. Could Antonio Brown go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? 31-year-old, no report on which team could sign him, but Bucs could be a good fit. Namely, obviously, Brady knows him and likes him. Uh, they obviously signed Rob Bronkowski. They are strong at receiver, but listen, if a guy's of value, you find a spot from somewhere on your roster, you would think. Last month on the show, Mike, you said the Bucs are not ready to be great. Would you take a flyer on Antonio Brown to take them to a different level if you were Bruce Arians? Well, I mean, Bruce doesn't want to do it. That's fair. I would think that's fair to say. But I think there's a, a certain player within his organization, Mr. Brady, that would love to do it. I mean, here's the thing. The 13 days that Tom Brady spent with Antonio Brown were the most perfect 13 days. First of all, he saw him on the field. And I would say, with the exception of Randy Moss and maybe – Deion Branch, he felt like this might be the most talented receiver he's ever thrown the ball to. Now, I'm not putting words in Tom's mouth, but I get the sense that everybody there was spellbound by how great Antonio Brown looked. In fact, the Friday practice before he got cut, I mean, I think he was, they thought he was destined to score you know, a bunch of touchdowns because he was just so dominant against a good scout team. I mean, he wasn't practicing against the turds. You know, he wasn't practicing against guys that can't play. You know, they usually go ones against ones on certain situations, and he was really good. So that that's left an indelible mark on Brady, and Brady's not going to give up on it. Tom knows that if I add the more skilled players, the more talent I put around that I trust, the better I become as a player. 
Now, you know, Arians has dealt with them in Pittsburgh, and Arians has dealt with them, you know, and knows the headaches that come with them. But I'm sure Tom's telling them, hey, man, I got him. Don't worry. I got him, Bruce. He's on me. I'll take care of it. I'll make sure he's compliant. I'll make sure he doesn't go off. You know, I'll do the things I have to do. Plus, if he messes this opportunity up, it's over with. It's like Johnny Manziel. He went up to Canada, pissed down his leg, and now he's wondering what happened to his NFL career. You know, so this is the last stop for for Antonio Brown. And whoever gets him is going to get the best version of Antonio Brown, like New England got for those 13 days. Now, can he do it for 130 days? That remains to be seen. But I think there's a strong push. I think Seattle wants him. I think Baltimore's interested. I think until he gets cleared by the commissioner and by the courts with these charges – I don't think anybody wants to do anything yet. So I think there's a little bit of that hesitation going on. The other thing is, is the problem what people don't understand in the league right now is because there is the threat of not having football or missing some games. If I give you a signing bonus, let's say I give you a a million dollars, AD, and your base salary for that year is going to be five million. So I lowered your cap number, right? Well, what happens is if there's any games that are missed, you owe me that signing bonus proation back on the games that were missed, which is unfair for players because it's not their fault. They're missing games, right? So it's harder to do a signing bonus contract deal right now because of the problems with the language that goes in all standard signing bonus contracts that if you miss games, it's pro you got to pay back the team. It's interesting because when I said about Cam, I said he's low risk, high reward. Brown, I think, is high risk because he might get in there and completely screw the situation up. But again, he is high reward. And I get the fact, like you said, if you're Brady, you're going, hey, man, I only have so many more chances at this. I got one or two years left. I want to get another ring. And and for anybody who says, well, they're strong at receiver, you can always use more talent. Who's going to say, no, I don't want this guy just as a number three receiver, number four receiver as well. And the Ravens and the Seahawks, I mean, all those make sense. Look at the commonality. If you got great quarterbacks, whether it's Brady, Russell Wilson, or Lamar Jackson. And, And no matter what, Brown is not going to be the focal point of the offense, right? He's, he, of course, he's not a number one offense guy anymore. He's going to be a supplementary piece. But if he can prove himself and all of a sudden take advantage of that situation, I mean, I'd be shocked if he doesn't at least get a chance, right, Mike? Like he's, he's got And to. I know you mentioned the case, but it's a, it's a civil case. It was the same one that was around before. Maybe a suspension, an assault case against a delivery driver. I know that civil sexual assault case is there, but I think he's back in the league. He's going to get a chance in one of those three teams. How he pans out, I don't know. But we will see Antonio Brown back on a football field. I, I agree with that. And I think if you're Seattle, look, I don't think Josh Gordon has anything left in the tank. I think people remember Josh Gordon, but 2013 was seven years ago. That's a long time ago. You know, and he hasn't been the same since then. You know, he's flashed at moments, but his legs are gone. So, you know, I can't see that being the same. I think that, you know, if you, if I'm San Seattle and if I'm San Francisco, I'm waiting to see what happens. I want to get involved in it because even though I get the civil cases that are out there and I got to find, I got due process has to take and see what the commissioner does. But you're talking about a guy who's going to shift the balance of power. And that balance of power in the West between Seattle and San Francisco was was about a yard last year. That's how far close that balance of power was. And this guy would make all the difference in the world. No doubt he's talented. It's just all the baggage that comes with it. Can you get his head on straight? But you're right about the last chance. I mean, God, if Antonio Brown would screw this up, theoretically, I couldn't imagine another team giving him a chance. Uh, Coming up a little bit later in the show, our Sopranos section, we're going to talk about the greatest lines of Uncle Junior. Trust me, there is no shortage of them. But 
want to discuss a little football history here, and that is Joe Bugle, the former Redskins line coach and the architect of the famed Hogs, dies at the age of 80 years old. He spent 32 years in the NFL, widely known for his work in Washington, where he coached the Redskins O-line from 1981 to 1989. Um, I still remember, of course, the head coach of the Cardinals. That was from 1990 to 1993. He came back to the Skins when Joe Gibbs returned and was there until 2009. The origin of the name, you know, the Redskins reached three Super Bowls. They won two in the 1980s. Bugle started calling the group the Hogs in 1982. And that was during a training camp practice. The name stuck. As Gibbs told them, once you establish a nickname, you'd better back it up. Oftentimes, Mike, you look at the head coach and you look at the GMs and the architects, but football is so specialized. You have to appreciate somebody that does such a great job with one specific unit. And the Hogs, specifically the O-line, how critical they were of the Redskins, you can't underestimate the importance of Joe Bugle to the game of football, right? No, I mean, he was really, and he was a nice man. I mean, you know, I had a lot of conversations with him, you know, and all through the 80s, he struggled. to. Tra- he wanted to be a head coach, you know, and he just felt like he was never going to get a chance. And I can remember having a conversation with him and saying, Joe, at some point, you're going to have to go call plays or you're going to have to prove to people that you're not just a line coach because nobody wants to really hire a line coach. People see line coaches as, as end zone tape. You know, they only know what the line does. They really don't know what the passing game is. They're really just going to be guys that want to run the ball all the time and don't really want to be uh, run a tr- offense they're too conservative and he's like well what about Chuck Noll Chuck Noll was a great line you know he's a line coach and he's been successful all through the he couldn't do it so then when he gets his opportunity out of Phoenix you know he goes out there and not a great organization by any means at that time uh you know he spends four years as the head coach there he gets fired his last year in 93 you know he's seven and nine and then he goes and the Al hires him for one year and the stories are endless. No, oh, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I wanted, Joe. You're just not doing it right. So, you know, I, and so then I think Joe was best suited to be a line coach. I think that's what he was really good at doing, teaching technique, teaching fundamentals. And in a game where, you know, you could spend your offseason inside a bubble and really working with guys and making them better. And he was truly a gentleman, really a nice guy, always had a big smile on his face whenever you see him. He greets you, talk to you. Uh, it's really sad. 80 years old, unfortunately, is too young to die in today's world. And I, I, my heart goes out to his wife, Brenda, and his family. I thought it was a really good, it was really interesting to see Dan Snyder's release that he sent out. It was very touching. And obviously, Joe had a great impact on Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins. No question about it. Bugle, you mentioned coaching the Cardinals, served as the Raiders assistant head coach slash offense, two years before becoming head coach uh, for that one season in 1997. By the way, follow Mike on Instagram. Follow at MLombardiNFL. Same as his Twitter handle. You can follow me, AdnanSVirk, on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, you can follow our show's Instagram page at the GM Shuffle. You know one thing about us, we love The Sopranos like nobody else. We gave you our favorite episodes. Now as we continue here in July, how about Uncle Junior's best lines? One of the best characters from the show, and there's no shortage of his finest lines. We're going to read them for you, though. We want you to tweet in. Post on Instagram, tweet us. Let us know which ones are your favorites. That's coming up next here on the GM Shuffle. It's interesting, Mike, when all great shows, and The Sopranos for us is the greatest of all shows, every character can be someone's favorite. It doesn't matter who it is. Someone could go, wow, there's some relevance here, something I you know, relate to here. When it comes to Uncle Junior, I don't know anybody who doesn't think he's an incredibly funny character. And it's a credit to Dominic Chinese's acting. As you've noted, he's a great singer. We got to go see him sing sometime. He was Johnny Ola in The Godfather. 
And I don't know anybody who doesn't watch Uncle Junior with a smile. I don't know if people have uncles like him, maybe grandfathers like him. Maybe you just wish you had an uncle like him, somebody who's not going to take any crap, says what's ever on his mind. But I think it was a perfect melding of character and actor. And I couldn't imagine, you know, Michael Imperioli and Steven Schrippa, they got their Talking Sopranos podcast. One of the casting directors said originally Jerry Stiller was going to play the role. We love Jerry Stiller, rest in peace. But I couldn't imagine anybody, excuse me, sorry, Jerry Stiller is going to play Hesh. But when it comes to Junior, there were some other actors who were in the mix. But I thought Don from the first time you see him, the glasses, the expressions, that withering sarcasm, the way he puts Tony in his place about not having the makings of a varsity athlete, he was incredible. It really is. I mean, you could just, you know, like, what do we have in common? Bunions? I mean, like, just his his ability. And then sometimes his one-liners, like when he was in the home with and organizing the card game and they were for Cokes and he couldn't remember anything. And he's like, you know, the pride of Rutgers, you know, and he tells the jokes that he does, you know, his timing. And then when he wants to escape, they're talking to him about escaping and he goes, Inch- we have enchiladas tonight. And he makes that smile. I mean, Chanace was tremendous, but there's so many of them. Like I find myself, I don't know about you, I find myself quoting him pretty much on a regular basis because some of his lines, like I'm waiting for patience on a monument. Like I never even knew what that was. I'm sitting here waiting for like patience on a monument. Like what is patience on a monument? <laughs> but that line I find myself saying when I'm waiting for it's like like how many you know you know the to me and then the other one you tell me to sign I sign you tell me to take crap on the deck of the Queen Mary an hour later they're hosing it down with disinfected. I mean is there a better? I mean that's as good as it gets, right? I mean there's so many good ones and and you can use them in almost everyday life. Take it easy. We're not making a western here. Uh, I've been farting the same. Cushion for 20 years is one that you can definitely use. There's even like, this almost seems like Yogi Berra-isms. Like, if you say you're going to be somewhere, be somewhere. I think this is a great one. You and I have called this on the shuffle. You come heavier, don't come at all. I mean, that, you could use that in everyday life. It's great. Oh, yeah. I mean, and some of them you can't use. Like when 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 the nurse is sitting there and he's got he's got shaving cream on his side of his face, you know, and Tony walks in and he says to the lady, he says, did you offer my nephew something to eat? She, and she says in like some Slovenian accent, I'm not the maid, I'm the, I'm the nurse. She said, well, did you offer him an aspirin? Like, you know, it's like you can't use that one. But, you know, or, you know, like when he says when he's sitting around the table at the sit down with Hesh, he says, you better hold on to your cock when you negotiate with these desert people right before he closes the deal. I mean, it's just so amazing how good some of his lines are. And I use when you're going to tell me you're going to be somewhere, be somewhere, right? I mean, like, you know, that's, I say that to my sons all the time. If you say you're going to be somewhere, be somewhere. We want you to tweet us in. So M Lombardi, NFL, Adnan S for, you know, your two or three favorite Uncle Junior lines, and we'll tally up the votes, and we'll tell you next on the GM Shovel which ones get the best. Here's some more. You, <laughs> you want to lie to me, tell me there's a broad in the car that wants to tongue my balls. I mean, that's, oh, I mean, so good. That's about as so good. As it that's gets. when the blender went up. I, I love the one when he says, you know, I want to, when he tells the marshals, I want to fuck Angie Dickinson. Let's see who gets lucky first. I mean, you know, and then, and then when he said when he said Jackie Junior's funeral, he has two great lines. None of them you read. He first he says good gravy today while he's dipping his bread into the tomato sauce, and then he says dumb bastard. He almost he talking about Jackie Junior. Dumb bastard almost drowned in three inches of water. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the best. Dumb bastard almost drowned in three inches of water. How about this one? I love uh, the episode Boca from the first season. Remember he's going down on that girl. Oh yeah. And, and the line is if you put <laughs> if you put your mouth down there, you're liable to say anything. That's funny. Uh, 
and and in that same episode when Tony's trying to talk, he says, "You know, you got more than six barbers." I mean, I, I like seriously, like it was just. And I asked Frank Renzulli, like, how did this, like, how was it writing lines for him? And they said it's the easiest guy to write a line for because a he could deliver it. And B, he had that sense of humor. You know, federal marshals are so far up my ass, I could taste brill cream. You know, it's like <laughs> you, could, you could just how he – you could just put it together. But I will say this. I, I think my favorite one of all time, and I, and I think it applies to the NFL, is, is some people are so far out, out of the race, they actually think they're in the lead. You know, I think that that truly is one of his finest lines ever. I uh, think on this burger boy, Tony is a cunt here away from being the boss of North Jersey, and I am that cunt here. I, again, <laughs> it's just so funny in terms of his delivery. Um, but you're right. The, the one about being so far behind and racing, they're actually leading is great. I mean, this it's, it's endless after a while. You steer the ship the best way you know. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes you hit the rocks. That was season three, episode eight. Again, that kind of sounds like a yogiism, right? Sometimes yeah. Junior could be witheringly funny, but he was also very philosophical about things. That, that's what made him so good. You know, he's, he's so philosophical and he had so many ways to kind of like when he tells Mikey Palmisi, take it easy. We're not making a Western here. And he was the one instigating it. You know, his timing, I think, was so excellent. I think that his ability, uh, you know, one of the ones I use all the time, I use this one all the time in my conversations. Livia is like a woman with a Virginia ham under her arm, crying the blues because she don't have a loaf of bread. <laughs> like I seriously, like those are two. Th- those sentences are just truly remarkable. I mean, he he is so good and. He made the show. I I almost feel like I don't know how you feel, but I feel like when they made him have dementia, it, the show for me lost a little bit of that dark humor. Right. You know, it lost a little bit of that. I mean, I understood why they did it. I, I don't like that they did did it. I wish they would have either just killed him or brought him back in dreams. But when they when they basically just made him crazy. You know that you you lost the whole sense, of, and nobody really replaced him in that sense of comedy. You know, we didn't really have that. Yeah, and, and and I missed that. I missed him. I missed him in the later shows. I missed him when he was truly when Bobby would drive him around, and he was truly you know telling those stupid jokes about the Cadillac, and you know, a woman comes home with a, a, a vase. I guess I have to put put him in a vase. So you know, you know, and all that. The joke he tells, they're so bad that you have to laugh at him. But he was so classic, you know, like he, you know, when he sees Dr. Kennedy and Kennedy tells him something, looks at those National Geographic pictures on the back wall. Oh my God, they could be, you know, he's it's just, he would, to me, he was one of the best characters. And they gave him some of the greatest lines of all time. Agreeing him becoming diminished later on. I mean, there was certainly some poignance to it, and he acted it well. I mean, the scene where he shoots Tony is great. Malanga. Like he confuses him for this guy from the past shoots him. Pussy Malanga. <laughs> you know, when you go back and watch episode one, and, and he wants to kill Pussy Malanga at the, at, at the Vesuvio, and they kind of stop him from doing it. You know, you may run North Jersey, but you don't run your Uncle June. You know, and he's all over those lines, and then, he, and then he's in the car. Like, if you just watch the car scene, he has different glasses on, but he's in the car driving Livia, and, and and, you know, I'm Ajita all the time, Livia, you know, and he's ta- and he's complaining to Tony about, he's complaining to her about Tony knowing that he can get her into, into, do- into doing something. He played her too, you know, even though when, when Tony rips back at him, oh, look at you, you, you you're, you're like some kind of detective or something. He, he makes fun of him because he's playing both sides. Of- Remember when he's playing both sides of Richie Aprile? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he is going both sides. That's right, right, right. A couple more here. You heard about the Chinese godfather. He made them an offer they couldn't understand. <laughs> and Teddy Roosevelt once gave an entire speech with a bullet lodged in his chest. 
Some things are just a matter of duty. The best. I mean, he, he truly is. He truly, I mean, and again, his delivery is perfect. It's spot on. His dress I, and the glasses just made it so good, you know, and, and the way he could way he could get so pissed off that that sit down with Jackie Aprile when, when the Comley trucks or, you know, he got hit with the Comley trucks. And then Mikey Palmese says to him, he says, you know, to, uh, Comley said to thank Tony. What do you mean? Thank Tony. I'm the one who got his goddamn trucks, but you know, he gets so excited in like an instant. It's so good. So good. Next week, maybe we'll do the best lines of Tony Soprano here on the GM Shuffle. And of course, all your NFL news. Thanks for, as always, for checking out me and Mike. Uh, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and we'll see you next time on the GM Shuffle. Shuffle.